this evening to that very real place this week. And so we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm uh, Jared Jenkins, the Disciple and Missions Pastor here at Risen Life Church. And this morning we're continuing in our series on wisdom from Scripture. And if you'll notice, I don't quite have the same gray hair as the other guys. So maybe I'm not as so wise, but I did get a haircut this week, which makes me look more bald that I realized. So maybe that counts for, for something. Um, but this series, we're, we're exploring passages that we as pastors have found personally impactful. Uh, and this morning, I'm going to share one of my favorites, which comes from Isaiah 26. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, it's kind of to the middle of your Bible and a little bit to the right. And you'll find Isaiah, who has a lot to say, and we're going to look at Isaiah 26, particularly verses 3 and 4. And what we're going to see today is how do we keep our minds at peace in the midst of the crazy world that we live in? And and it's two short verses, but it's got a lot to say to us. Uh, And so we're hoping that as we, we look at Isaiah and elsewhere in the Bible, we'll be able to look at how we can keep peace in our mind and trust and build our life on the foundation of who God is. So as I said, we we know we we live in a crazy world, right? It's not a day that goes by that we're not just bombarded with things and events that disquiet our souls. You know, the politics of our nation are, are more like a circus or a comedy show these days. There's wars and potential wars always on the horizon, just like Jesus said there would be. There's school shootings and public shootings that breed fear in our hearts. There's those great articles that tell you how something else causes you cancer. In fact, just this week, I was reading one about Roundup, and I was like, well, great, I just spilled that all over my hand last summer, so I guess that means I'm going to get cancer Right? We hear about tragedies that befall our friends and family. We, we worry about our jobs and our finances. And, and those are just the things that go on outside of our heads, right? And on the inside, it can be even more scary, I think, sometimes. We feel that constant whisper and, and pull to engage in that same old sin that just keeps nagging at us. Satan often speaks and whispers into our mind and our heart and lies to us about our image and value in this life. He says, we're not good enough. No, Nobody cares about you. You're, you're not as pretty or as smart or as talented as, as the next guy or girl. We struggle to love those difficult people in our lives, even giving in to the hate and the, the, the recurring thoughts of the hurt that swirl around in our mind. Many times we even just resent our position in life, maybe even our kids or our spouse. And all these things, they they just come up from the depths of our soul and in our mind, and we we just get paralyzed in fear and anxiety and worry and stress and anger. Maybe we even go to a darker and deeper place of depression and even thoughts of suicide. And yet in the midst of all that, the gospel says to us in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
that again. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for he is an everlasting rock. Perfect peace, that's what we want, isn't it? That's where I want to be. The word here for peace is that that Hebrew word shalom, and it actually appears twice in this passage. It says, he'll keep you in peace, peace. Or twice indicating that, that it is it is perfect peace, as much peace as possible. It means a completeness, a wholeness, a soundness in our heart and mind that is not distracted by anything. It's telling us that in the midst of our life, of all the stuff, There is a way that we can, as believers, remain in perfect peace. And it is through trust in the Lord and keeping our mind on who He is and what He is doing. Let me invite you today, wherever you are today, whatever is the thing that you just cannot stop thinking about, that just disquiets your soul, whatever hurt is clouding your mind, Jesus invites us to come and lay it down at his feet and exchange it for perfect peace as you trust in him. Now this is why this verse is important to me. I think it was in in God's providence several years ago that I was amidst just a severe struggle in my life in which I I just couldn't get peace. I, I could not keep the hurt and things out of my head. It just, they were just disquieting my soul. And, and I don't know how it is for you guys, but I, I've read these verses a bunch of times, right? But finally, I came across this verse, and it was as if the Holy Spirit just grabbed me and says, this is for you. You need to hear this, right? And I said, oh, that's, that's what I want. Lord, I want, I want perfect peace in my mind. God said, this verse is staring me in the face, telling me if I wanted peace, then I needed to begin to let go of these things and begin refocusing on who God is and what He's doing. And trust that He has all of this in His hands. He is, a, he is the solid rock, the everlasting rock, unmovable, undeterred. And if I can anchor my life on that, there is peace. I always get this picture of, you know, those old figureheads on the on the ship, right, and there's a big storm going about, and this thing just looks so stately, always focused forward, always ready to go, no matter where the ship is being tossed, it's looking forward to where it's going. That if we can find peace in the Lord, we can keep our eyes on Him from matter, no matter what is going on. You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for He is an everlasting rock. Now, it's an amazing statement. And we might think, oh, that's just kind of gospel pie in the sky, right? I don't know if I could ever get there. But Isaiah is saying these things because it's built on a foundation of who he believes God to be and what he is doing. So I want to talk just briefly about three pieces that I think set the foundation so that Isaiah can say this, right? That God can give him this. And the first thing is that God is sovereign over everything. Isaiah witnesses to this all over the place. We can have perfect 
peace in our mind if we trust in God because there is nothing that goes on in this world that God does not have control over. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God, there is no other. We sung about that this morning. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. God is saying, look, I I started this whole world and I know where it ends and exactly what I want to happen in the middle will happen. You can trust in me. Isaiah 40, Isaiah pictures God as the sovereign that does whatever he pleases. He creates stars. He speaks things into into being. And yet he cares deeply for the faint hearted and those that are hurting. He is big and sovereign over all. And yet he is intimately involved with all of our lives. And we can go deeper into God's sovereignty because it's in God's purposes, the in God's purposes are the hardships of his people. If you're going through something hard in your life right now, Isaiah tells us it's in God's hands. It doesn't surprise him. He explains it to us in this way, that the hardships you face for the believer in Jesus is intended to teach you lessons. Isaiah 26, 9b through 10a says this, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, however, they do not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. In other words, God is over the hardships that come into your life, and he brings them into the world as a teaching tool to lead us to righteousness. When things are easy, often we go and sin. We don't learn. We actually indulge in our wickedness. I, I think we can see this if you guys can remember back to 9-11, right? A horrible event in our country's history, one of the most terrible days I can remember. And yet, do you know what happened afterwards for the next couple of weeks? People went to church. Lots of people. The most in like 50 years. Now, that didn't last. But for that moment, God's hardship was teaching them righteousness. It was calling them to himself, and yet they continued to reject him. So Isaiah's statement about peace is built on the fact that God is sovereign over everything that happens, even the bad stuff. If that is true, then there is no one else to place our trust in. The Lord is the one who can do something about your situation because he's over it. And he loves you and wants to teach you to walk in righteousness. Secondly, Isaiah can say this because it's built on what God has done in the past. Look at what Isaiah 26, 12 says. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our work. Now this verse is getting at Israel's reason for being at all. It's because of what God has done. Remember their history, God selected Abraham for no good reason other than he wanted to place his love on him. That's just the same way he does for us in Christ. He says, I love you and I want you to be mine. And then he takes Abraham and he promises to build him into a nation that will bless the world. 
and he grows them into that big nation. He rescues them out of the land of Egypt. He takes them to a new land. He establishes the kingdom. He, he rescues them from many trials and sins and enemies, and he's staying true to his promises to Abraham. They don't exist without what God has done. And based on his character and track record, Isaiah says he can ordain peace because he's done everything else for us. Israel has to trust in him if they are to keep their minds. They have to appropriate that peace he's offering by saying, God, we'll put it in your hands. And we're going to walk with you. I want you to see that really this, this is the same for us. If we want peace right here today, it starts with trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it's based on what he's already done. Before you were ever even born, Jesus was already dying on the cross for you to erase the barrier of sin that was keeping us from the Father. He died in our place. And he gave us his righteousness. God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. He accomplished salvation for us already. And what we have to do is place our trust in him. We say, Jesus, you are Lord. I want to follow you. That's a trust statement. I want to follow you, that you will save me and you will lead me back to a relationship with the Father. Say, if you've never experienced that, you can experience that today. In fact, next service, we're going to baptize someone again who has said, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to give you my life. If that is you today, we want to help you do that. So we can believe that God can grant peace in our minds based on what he's done in the past, and that is Christ. And so we place our trust in him. Now, here's the exciting part, because Isaiah's statement about the possibility of peace is also about what God's going to do in the future. And that's where it gets good. Now, Isaiah 24 tells us that the day of judgment, it tells us about the day of judgment is coming for the whole world. And maybe that leads us to a little more anxiety than peace. But there's a silver lining to this worldwide judgment. That it, when God comes to judge the earth, that all the injustices of the world that have ever happened, everything that is, he has done to you and has been has been unaccounted for, the hurts you have experienced, God says he will set these things right on that day. He will set every right wrong. In fact, that's why Paul can say in Romans 12, 9, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And if you've been hurt by someone else's sin against you, you know what? God is way more offended about their sin than you are. Really, their sin is primarily against him, but he's going to take it up on you. And here's the good news. This is what God plans to do for his people, for those that trust in Christ. Isaiah 25 has this wonderful poetry. It tells us about God setting up the new city on Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem for all that trust in Christ. And what you, if you look at it, it's just like what John says in Revelation 21. Here's what he says, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well-refined. 
follow up on this mountain of covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to be there, right? That's what's coming. And so if we know what's coming, then we can look at the stuff of the day and say, Man, that's not so bad. I can get through this because I know what God is doing. In fact, 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, 4, 16, and 18. He says, look, so we do not lose hope or do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Think, the Lord is keeping Paul in perfect peace. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Isaiah can promise to us as believers that in Jesus you can find perfect peace because he knows what's coming for those that place their trust in Christ. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now I'm going to go a little deeper here with our verses because it isn't just pie in the sky, but these verses are meant to be a very present help day to day, right in our daily lives. And we've got to get got to grasp a little bit of the context here, and I hope you do this. This promise of peace in Isaiah 20, 26, 1 through 6, it comes in this celebration song of the deliverance that is to come. They, he's talking about the deliverance, the, the new Jerusalem that's coming, and, and these verses come as a celebration of that. This is what's going to happen. Praise God, right? I can be in perfect peace. Uh, but yet most scholars believe the rest of Isaiah 26, verses 7 through 21, they're dealing with the daily suck of the present, Okay. They're lamenting all the things that are going on right now. And most likely, they're lamenting the fact that this big nation, Assyria, is saying they're going to come down and destroy Jerusalem. And guess what? Assyria's got a lot of street cred. Because you know what they just did? They just destroyed the northern kingdom 20 years ago. So these guys are scared. They're real scared. And Assyria keeps sending messengers to taunt them, to taunt the Lord, to taunt King Hezekiah. You can read about it in Isaiah 36 and 37, as well as 2 Kings. Taunt them that your God is not big enough. We're going to come and we're going to do awful things to you guys and we're going to destroy your city. And they're scared. God, where are you? In fact, in the midst of this imminent threat, we can hear their distress of the present. Look at what Isaiah 26, 9 says. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me desperately seeks you. They want God to move. God, where are you? Don't you hear what's going on? Isaiah 26, 16. Oh, Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer. 
discipline was upon them. Saying, God, we know you've come against us because we have sinned, but Lord, show us mercy, please, God. And show us that in the midst of this, this severe trial, this threatening nation, their city, their very lives, and yet God sends them this instruction. So when we don't see God moving, what do we do? We often run to things that medicate our pain. We try to take control of the situation ourselves. We, we turn to the counsel of others that don't have God in mind. Well, if God's not doing it, maybe this guy will. Just like Israel would do, they always run to the other nations instead of the Lord. Isaiah 31 through 2 talks about if they're stubborn children, declares the Lord, you, you carry out plans, but not mine. You make allegiances, but not with my spirit, that you may add sin to sin. You set out and you go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge and protection from Pharaoh. Just like the Israelites, we run to all the other things instead of to the very one that can do something about our situation. So I'd ask you, what is your allegiance? Where do you run when things go bad away from the Lord? Where do you go to medicate it? Where do you go to find strength instead of trusting in the Lord and keeping your mind focused on Him? You know, this week I got a, I got a bad email from my, my uh, PhD advisor again <laughs> uh, that, that wasn't very helpful. And you know what I did? I went to my medication, went to Cracker Barrel. Me and Jason Vincent went there for lunch. I just needed to taste butter and feel good about life again. It's what we do, right? We want quick happiness. Want us some fried okra, some sweet tea, right? We want it to feel better. Yet Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, But keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So as we go on this morning, I want to give us just a couple practical ways. How do we do this? How do we keep our mind on God in the midst of all the stuff that's going on? I'll give you four or five ways that we can do this. And these are, you've heard these before, but I, but I think again, I just want to remind us, we can do this, right? In the strength of the Lord, you can keep your mind on Him and have peace. First thing is, you got to give everything to God in prayer. Okay, as believers in Jesus, prayer should be as natural as our breathing. Philippians four six and seven, and, and Pastor Kevin's going to preach on this in a couple weeks. Says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Which means that throughout your day, at every turn of event, you bring that thing to the Lord. And you keep your mind focused on Him. Both the big things and the little things, bring them to the Lord. This is what this looks like. I, I do this when my kids are, are being disobedient. They're driving me crazy, and I just stop in my mind, and I pray, God, give me wisdom and self-control is how to deal with this situation 
so that they will grow in you. When I hear of a tragedy that may befall one of you guys in our congregation or one of our extended family, I stop and ask the Lord for peace and wisdom. God, we don't know what to do here. What should we do? I get that clunky email, right? At work. Lord, how do I respond to this? Lord, I need your help. When I counsel with someone over coffee as I'm listening to their situation, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, I need to know what to say here. What are your words for these people? And in every little thing throughout the day, we bring every aspect of our life to God. We begin that conversation and we keep talking to Him because He can't keep you in peace unless you're talking with Him. We can see this in Isaiah 37 and I encourage you to go read it. When King Hezekiah hears all the taunting from the nation, 37.14 tells us that Hezekiah takes the, the letter from the messengers from Assyria, he takes it in the house of the Lord, he reads it, and then he, sa- he starts praying to God, God, what are you going to do about this? I don't know what to do. And then God answers him, and he will answer us. So the more you keep the conversation going with God, the more peace you will have. I cannot understate this enough. As you pray and go about your day, you get to see him answer your prayers, and guess what that does? That builds your trust in him. And it's pretty cool and pleasant to see how God answers our prayers. Secondly, we got to learn to refute the lies in our head with the truth of Scripture. If we want peace, we got to refute the lies with truth. What Satan's whispering, we got to counter with something that's right. In fact, we see Jesus demonstrate this for us. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, when he's being tempted by, by Satan about making bread and jumping off the temple and, and all these different things to bow down to him. And every time Jesus responds and says, it is written, and he refutes Satan's lies with the gospel truth of the word. Listen, Satan likes to do this to us. He comes and he whispers things in our minds and, and they're lies and perversions of the truth and they can get our minds all sorts of tangled up and, 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 and just messed up. Lies about ourselves and lies about God and lies about people around us. Lies about the good uh, of the things of the world. And Satan's goal is to steal your peace. To try to get you so depressed in such a bad place that, that you even want to die. That there's no hope. John 10.10 says, look, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we need the word to help us see the lies that Satan is feeding us and refute it with the truth of the gospel. This is why they call the word the revelation of God. Right? We're in this dark world and yet God comes from outside into our dark world. He says, no, 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 no. This is the way it is. Here's the truth. And if you follow me, I'll lead you into more truth. But that means we've got to have the Word in us, right? We have to be reading the Word. You know, earlier this year we handed out a guide uh, on how to read through the Bible in a year. And many of you have done that and just said it has blessed your soul because you're getting the truth and you can see the lies. I'm narrowing in on 
finishing my Bible reading for the year. And I just love coming to the passages that I forgot about. Even this week, I had one in Haggai that reminded me to stay focused on God and His things instead of all the stuff, right? The little verses that just come to us as we keep reading His Word that will suit us. And even memorize the Scripture. This year, I set out to memorize more Scripture than I ever have in the past. In fact, I, I started by memorizing James 1. And you know how many times that passage has come to bear on my life this year? Incalculable ways God speaks truth from His Word in our hearts. And I'd encourage you, even those two verses today, memorize these verses, hide them in your heart, and then say them to yourself when your mind is getting crazy. No, no, I know there is a God that can keep me at perfect peace when this comes into my life. So I'm going to do the things to get there. I'm going to keep my mind on Him, and I'm going to trust that He's doing something in the world. And then listen to sermons. This is another great way to get the Word in our heart. In fact, I, I read this book. It's a great book at our community. It's called Change of Perception by Beckett Cook. It was about a man that was in the, the Hollywood lifestyle, very successful. He, he was a homosexual man, and he comes to faith in Christ and his journey out of that whole lifestyle. And you know what he said really helped him? He said as soon as he became a Christian, he just had this insatiable desire to hear God's Word. He would listen to sermon after sermon after sermon, and it was the getting of the Word that was refuting all the lies that he had believed for so long. It's just a beautiful picture. And if we want to have peace about any given situation, we need to know what God has said about those situations. Trust that what he has said is best. Let's be a people of the word so that we can have peace. Thirdly, we've got to remember what God has done, right? We've seen this already a little bit. Isaiah 25.1 says this, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Not only can we remember what God has done in the past for His people Israel as recorded in the Bible, but we can remember what God has done for us personally. And listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, then you have a story to remember about what God has done for you. Be thankful. Pray all those things back to God. Be thankful for what He's done. Remember how He helped you out of that addiction. Remember how He gave you purpose when you felt like you had none. Remember how he reminded you of your, your value. Remember how he said, you are loved by me. Remember how he has consistently provided for you, healed you, comforted you, loved you. So I'd start my more extended times of prayer by just praising God for who he is and what he's done. It's just amazing. You, you can't help but find some peace when you start being thankful for what God has done. It's amazing. And guess what? When you remember what he's done, then why wouldn't he do it again in the future? So we can look at those things he deals with now and say, I know this God and I know he's faithful and he's done good things. We can trust him and place our trust in the everlasting rock and the unmovable stone. Fourthly, if we're going to have peace, we've got to be in community with God. We've got to be in community with other believers. 
when we're in that dark place and our mind is just spinning out of control, man, we need the help and the guidance of other believers in Jesus. Sometimes they can stand outside our situation. Last week we talked about the fish that realizes he's in water, right? We can stand outside our situation, and, and the other believer will help us see from a different angle, can help us bring peace to our mind. Kind of like when we're driving, if, you, if you've ever, one time I was driving to San Francisco, and as I got out here in the middle of Windover, or out in the salt flat, suddenly sunny as day as could be, I hit this snowstorm. And I could not see three feet in front of my car, right? And yet, if I called somebody on the cell phone and they were three miles down the road, they could say, Jared, just keep driving. Find that truck. Stay right behind him. Because in three miles, guess what? It's going to be sunny again. And that's what other believers in Jesus can do for us. When we're in the midst of that storm, they can call you up and just say, man, just keep going. God's got something. He's going to see you through this. This doesn't last as long as you think it will. There is light on the other side. Just keep driving. So brother and sister of Christ, it reminds us of God's promises that preach truth counter to the lies we're believing and that we think we see. And the church is the bride of Christ. It's God's best idea to reach this world and sanctify his people. One of the biggest blessings of the church is that you get to tangibly experience God's love in these people sitting in this room. That God would work through them to show you His love immediately and now when you need it. So if you're in a dark place with no peace, I want to challenge you. Let somebody in and see if they can't turn on a light for you. That's what God has given you, this body of believers for. Finally, we're going to end by listening. And this may be the hardest one. That in the middle of all this, we got to trust the Lord. So we do that as we look to these verses. You know, Isaiah 26 ends with this somber reminder that God is, God is going to move even though now we may not think He is. In fact, Isaiah 26, 17, and 18, it, it says the people have prayed and they've asked God to move and yet... They lament that they haven't seen salvation yet. Assyria is still coming, God. Where are you? And yet they were like a pregnant, they say they were like a pregnant woman. They're praying, they're hoping for salvation, and yet they don't see it. They give birth to wind. Friends, no salvation has come through the results of their prayers or efforts, and yet God responds to this. He says, I know. Hang in there. It's coming. But for now, you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to persevere. In fact, let's listen to what it says. This is Isaiah 26, 20, and 21. It says, Come now, my people. Go ahead and enter your chambers. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until this fury of mine has passed. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its sin. What God is saying is, look, Assyria is going to come and you're going to have to endure it. But at the same time, I'm coming and I will judge them. See, sometimes the things you're going through are not just for you. They're for other people, too. And in the same act, God is going to judge Assyria and he's going to teach his people what it means for a God to save them. 
So he says, for now, you just come on in. You go ahead and hunker down. You're going to have to walk through this one, but I'm with you and I'm doing something. So he just took my hand. Kind of reminds me when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in Tennessee with the tornado warnings that you'd always get, right? Tornado warnings, everybody runs, jumps in the bathtub with pillows and shuts the door and you just pray, oh God, please, please let us survive this, right? Sometimes a tornado would come and sometimes it wouldn't. And that the coming of the tornado or not doesn't mean that God love, doesn't love us or doesn't care for us, but in his providence he's saying, look, we're going to have to walk through this one. But ultimately there will be salvation. You just keep trusting in me no matter what happens. This will be for your good. And God did that in Isaiah's day. He punished Assyria, and yet he saved Israel. In fact, just one verse previous to what we just read in Isaiah 26, 19, God said, look, I know it seems like I'm not coming. It seems like people are dying, and this is a bad situation. But he says, your dead shall live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake, sing for joy. For the dew is a dew of life, and the earth will give birth to the dead. In other words, don't lose heart. Even in the midst of the trial, God is not abandoning you. There is ultimate hope in the gospel. It will be worth it. God's people will rise from the grave and forever will be with him. Sometimes we get to experience that now, that God raises us up to new life. We experience real life transformation and other times we don't get to experience it until he returns so we look forward to the day when we persevere trusting that the Lord will arise so keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting God you don't have peace that conversation back with God in prayer. Let's refute the lies of Scripture. Let's invite others into our pain and let them turn on a light. Remember the times when God has moved. Let's trust the Lord and persevere that He will do something. He will. So keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever.
says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He did not come to 